Alright, alright, Crossroads, go ahead and make your way back to your seat, and we're going to get started tonight. As you're doing that, I'll introduce myself. My name is Sawyer. I'm the high school ministry pastor here at Crossroads. Thank you. That's some of my team right there. I love being here. Anytime the youth pastor gets to speak to the adult congregation, it's fun, it's exciting, and it's an honor. So I am, I am honored to be up here tonight. And just like me, I've got a lot of friends all around the country that are doing full-time ministry, and a lot of them are youth pastors, just like me. And from time to time, I'll call them and we'll talk about what's going on, what's new in their life. How's marriage? How's your church? How's your job? What's going on? And a lot of them, just like me, will get a rare opportunity to speak to the adult congregation. It's exciting. So I'll ask them, hey, what, what are you speaking on? What's the topic they gave you? And a lot of them will say that their churches will give them some topics that you'd expect to hear from a youth pastor, right? Things like fruits of the spirit, leadership, relationships, things that are very important, but a little more uplifting and fun that you'd hear from a youth pastor. Typically, our church is different. Our church decided to ask me, a youth pastor, to speak to you, not the youth, about heaven and hell, about the eternal resting place for our souls, one being the perfect dwelling place of our God, one being the permanent burning fire and sulfur for the devil himself. That's the topic that the church asked me to speak on tonight. I, I, I can't wait. I love this topic. I just think it's funny. I just think it's funny. They're like, hey, here's a mic. Speak on heaven and hell. Good luck. Uh, so that being said, buckle up. Okay, here we go. Let's get it. When it comes to this topic, a lot of people ask the question, like, why is it even important to talk about this? Why can't we just talk about the day-to-day -day stuff, following God, pursuing him? If you do that, everything else will fall into place, right? On the other hand, you actually have a big group of people that's like, hey, this is all you should preach on. If we can preach on heaven and hell every Sunday and just really focus on this, it'll scare people into coming to God, right? It'll, and and it, the truth is, though, it's important to talk about both. God talks about both. He talks about both the journey and the destination, I think of it like this. I don't know about any of you, but I love traveling. I love traveling. I, I'm weird. I know I love the airport. I think it's fun. It's cool to people watch. I just like it. I like long flights. I like road trips. I like hiking. Any travel, I'm up for it. In fact, in college, I went on a road trip by myself across the country. I went through like 14 different states. I did like a big loop through New Mexico and Colorado and back to Alabama where I'm originally from. There was no point to that trip other than to have fun. There was no destination. But even with a journey that has no planned destination, every journey will come to an end. And every journey actually does have a destination whether you plan for it or not. Whether it's reaching your planned destination or returning home or just running out of gas on the side of the road, your journey is going to end. And our life has a destination whether you are planning for it or not. And the importance of talking about the destination is that you can plan your journey accordingly. You can know where you're heading, that's important. Like if I want to go to a Dodgers game and I get on the road and I start driving towards San Diego, I'm gonna be in the wrong city in the wrong stadium cheering for the wrong team. So it's important to talk about the destination as well as the journey and God talks about both. He cares about both. But it's important to talk about the destination and so we're gonna talk about it tonight because the truth is that everyone's life, like a road trip, is going to end. Sorry to spoil it, but we're all gonna die. Thank you again, Pastor Chuck, for the lighthearted topic, okay? But no, we are. <clears throat> we're all gonna die. And the Bible actually talks about three types of death that you might not have heard before. The first type of death that I wanna talk about might not be the death that you normally think of when you hear death. First type of death is called spiritual death, spiritual death. Now, spiritual death is a death that actually, believe it or not, we have all already experienced. Spiritual death is the separation between us and God because of our sin. And we have all experienced this. Look at this, Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 and 4 through 5. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So that verse right there says a couple times that we were dead. How is it possible that we were dead? Because it's not talking about a physical death. It's talking about a spiritual death. It's talking about the separation between us and God that happened because of our sins. When we sin, we have been separated from God. And we know that we've all sinned, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have all sinned, therefore we have all experienced this first death. We have all been separated by God. Now that verse also clarifies though, that we who are, who are Christians who have been saved by God, we've been made alive again. Spiritually, we have all died, and for those of us that are Christians, we have been spiritually made alive again. So that's the first type of death. We've all experienced it. 
The second type of death is one that you probably think about when you hear death, and that's physical death. That's the second type of death. And the physical death is the separation of soul and body. Look at how James describes it in James 2, 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also is faith apart from the works is dead. James right here, is, he's describing the physical death. He's saying that when you die physically, your physical body goes into the earth, which by the way, that, God says that in Genesis. He says, from the dust you came to the dust you shall return. So we will all physically die one day. The first death we've all already experienced. The second one, this one, we're all going to experience. Once again, sorry to spoil it for you, but you're going to die. Unless the rapture happens, that's a different message. But, but this is the second type of death that the Bible mentions. And we will all experience that. The third type that I want to talk about tonight, and this is kind of where I'm going to get into the rest of my message, is one that not everyone will experience. And my hope is that no one in this room will ever have to experience. And it's the eternal death. The eternal death. The Bible actually refers to it also as the second death, because we all know of, of the, we think of the first death as our physical death, but the second death or the eternal death, what is this one? This one is the eternal and permanent separation from God. The, fir- the first one, that, that spiritual death, that was the temporary separation from God. Because remember, we've been made alive, so we are connected with God again in spirit. But this one is permanent. It's permanent. Look at what it says right here in Revelation 20, 14 through 15. It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is the eternal death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written or was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So right there, that's that, that third type of death that we see in the Bible, but it's known as the second death or the eternal death. And it's the permanent separation from God. This is talking about hell. He's talking about hell. So hell is the third type of death. It is, it is the eternal death. And it is the resting place. It is the destination for Satan and his demons. And keep that verse up there. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. That means the only people, the only humans that will go to this place, that will experience this death, are those of us that have not been saved by God. Anyone in this room or in this world or in our families or in our friend groups who have not received Jesus will experience this death and it's permanent. It's the permanent separation from God. Now, later on, I'm gonna explain a little bit more about where we as Christians are gonna go. But first, I wanna talk a little bit about hell because hell is a real place. Now, I also wanna clarify something. I wanna clarify what I mean when I say the word hell because depending on which translation of the Bible you read and which verse you're in, you might see a few different words for hell. Some translation of the Bible will only say hell. Some, tra- some translation of the Bible won't even say hell at all. A couple of reasons for that. One, in the Hebrew and the Greek, the languages that the Bible were written in originally, there's no direct translation into English for the word hell. Hell is not a word that was originally used in the Bible. So why do we use it? Where do we get it from? This is really important to understand because this is actually one of the bigger arguments against what we as Christians believe. A lot of people will make the argument that hell is not a literal place because the Bible doesn't say the word hell. What does it say? Depending on where you're reading, you'll see a couple different words in the Bible for this place that we know as hell, like Sheol or Tartarus or Hades or the place of torment or the pit or the lake of fire or the dark abyss, et cetera, et cetera. And I could, I could take some time and actually preach on those names and those titles because they're talking about a couple different things. In fact, if you go in detail and you really research it, we see that there are five departments of hell. But tonight I'm gonna focus on one main one, which is that eternal death. It's the eternal resting place for the souls of those who have not been saved. It's the eternal destination for Satan and his demons. It's where most of us think of when we think of the word hell. So where do we get the word hell? If it's not in the Bible originally, if it's not in the Greek or Hebrew, why do we say hell? Where does it come from? The word hell in English is the base of the old Germanic word helen, which means to cover or to conceal or to hide. And the reason that we use that word is because the Bible, time and time and time and time again, explains this place as a place that is hidden, it is covered, and it is concealed. Look at this in Isaiah 14, 9. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. Sheol, once again, some translation right here would just say hell. 
In this translation, ESV, it says Sheol. It says the name of this place. But here it's explaining this place, this destination, as something that is covered. It is hidden. It is beneath. It is shaded. It is covered up. Look at Ezekiel 31, 16. I made the nations quake at the sound of its fall when I cast it down to Sheol with those who go down to the pit. Again, it's, it's explaining this place as something that is, it's a pit, it's down, it's covered, it's beneath, it's hidden, it's concealed. And the word hell, the English word hell, literally means the world under the world. The Bible is explaining this place as an, the underworld. And that's what hell means. It literally means it's the underworld. So hell is an English word for the underworld. That's where we get it. So it's not that the Bible doesn't talk about hell. It's just that a lot of the times the Bible uses a different word, but it's hell means the underworld. That's where we get it. So, so next time, if someone ever asks you like, hey, why doesn't the Bible actually say the word hell? You can say, well, it actually, it talks about hell. It's just in English, we call it hell. In Hebrew, they might've called it Sheol or the abyss or the pit. But hell is a real place that the Bible talks about. Now here's the question, what's it gonna be like? What's hell gonna be like and who's gonna go there? First of all, Hell is worse than anything you have ever seen or imagined. We see a lot of times on movies or on TV or in music, or whatever it is, that hell, we, we see a lot of these interpretations of what hell might be according to the artist. And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that the real hell is worse than anything, and none of those are actually very accurate. It's even really sad. Sometimes it gets romanticized. Hell gets romanticized as this place of like, it's fun and it's rebellion and there's partying and there's sex and there's drugs and there's rock and roll and there's even a phrase that goes around sometimes like, hey, it's, it's better to rule in hell than it is to serve in heaven. That couldn't be more wrong. See, some people, you, don't, you might not know this, but hell, Satan doesn't live in hell. Hell is not the home of Satan. Hell is the prison for Satan. Satan doesn't have power and authority in hell. He doesn't have the ability to give you freedom and music and rock and roll and sex. He is imprisoned there. It is torture and torment meant for Satan. So when you go to hell, it's not this place of rebellion and, and fun and chaos. It's pure torture and torment. It's brutal. And, and I'll get into a minute why it's so bad, but let me go ahead and tell you this. It never ends. It never ends. Look at the verse in Revelation. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Imagine how bad, how hopeless that would be. I don't know if you've ever experienced something that's really bad. The best part of experiencing something bad is knowing that pretty soon it's gonna be over. Like, I don't, know, I, I, I don't know about you, I don't like going to the gym, I don't like working out, my wife loves it, I hate it. I'd rather go play basketball or do something fun. Like, I don't wanna do it. So I already don't like the gym. But if I occasionally go to the gym, the worst part about the gym, so the worst of the worst, are planks. I don't know if you've ever done planks before, it's the worst. Here's what a plank is. It's supposed to be an ab workout and you get down and you're on your elbows and your toes and you're doing this and, and your body's supposed to be straight. I probably don't have very good form right now so don't make fun of me. And it's brutal. Like this is awful. I've only been here for like five seconds and it's already making my entire body hurt. It's supposed to engage my core. This is awful. I hate it. But here's the best part about it. If I put my phone in front of me, I'll have a timer on it. And I'll watch that timer tick and tick and tick. And pretty soon it's gonna hit zero for the next 30 seconds or a minute or whatever it's gonna be. It's gonna go off and it's gonna buzz and I'm gonna kinda, you know, stand up and stretch and, you know. That dude's benching like 500 pounds. I'm like, okay, that was pretty brutal. And I decide not to work out for another three months, right? But that, but like, the, so that was awful. But the best part about it was knowing that it was gonna be over soon. Okay, I, got, I, can, I can do this for another minute. I got this, I got this. And then it's over and you get to take a break. And silver lining, like it's working my core, it's making me stronger. Maybe I'll have a six pack. I never do, but at least there's hope, right? <laughs> Hell has no timer. It has no 30 second buzzer that when it goes off, you get to take a break. There is no like, this is really, really bad, but only 2000 more years, then I'm done. Day and night forever and ever. There's no end. There's no hope. There's no silver lining. It doesn't make you stronger. It's just torture. It's torment. It's worse than anything you can ever imagine. It's spiritual pain. But by the way, it's also physical pain. Heaven and hell are gonna be spiritual places, but they're gonna be more physical than most people realize. And when you go to hell, it's not just spiritual pain, it's physical pain too. Look at this. Do not fear those, this is Jesus speaking, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
And Matthew right there, Jesus is explaining the type of pain that you'll experience in hell. It's gonna be real physical pain. In a little bit, I'll, I'll um, show you one of these verses, but there are multiple verses in the Bible that refer to hell being a place where there's gonna be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell, it refers to emotional and mental turmoil. Not only is it gonna be physical and spiritual pain, there's gonna be anger and wrath and jealousy and bitterness and hate. I don't know if you've ever experienced that where it eats away at your inside and you're like, I hate that person, I hate, I'm so mad, I'm so angry, I'm so jealous. And in hell, not only are you experiencing the spiritual and the physical torment, mentally and emotionally, you're being torn up from the inside. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Also, we know it's physical because we know that it's going to be a real fire that burns with real heat. Earlier in that verse that I read in Revelation, it mentioned that hell was going to be a lake of fire burning with sulfur. That's not a metaphorical fire. Hell is going to be a real, literal fire that burns with real, literal heat and smoke. Look at this in Revelation 14, 11. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, once again, right there, no rest, day or night, it never ends. It goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. You're not gonna escape it. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. But it's the smoke of their torment right there that, that is crazy to think about. Let's put, a, let's put the flame aside for a second. Let's just focus on the smoke. Do you know how bad that would be? The other day, we took some of our high school students to the beach. We had a great day out there. It was fun. We were playing games and eating food. And that night, we had a fire in a fire pit. And we were you know, roasting marshmallows and telling jokes and laughing. We even had some worship and it was great. And there's like a perfect circle around this fire pit of our students and our leaders, except for one small gap. One gap was open. It was kind of funneled. It looked like Pac-Man around it, right? You've ever seen that? Why? Because of the smoke. Because the wind was blowing the smoke in the same direction all night. And if anyone tried to sit in that spot, they would get a face full of smoke like that. And every once in a while, I'd go put a log on the fire and I'd walk through that gap because it was just easier to get to the front. And I would immediately start suffocating. I'd, I'd walk up and I'd get a face full of smoke and it's in my eyes and I can't breathe and I can't see and I'm walking and ashes and flames on my leg and I throw the, the wood and I run away and I hope I didn't hit a kid in the head with a log, but it's like, it, it was awful. It was awful. And it was about 30 seconds of it. When you get to hell, you're breathing in the smoke, it's in your lungs, it's in your eyes, you can't see, you can't breathe, you can't hear. It's awful. Speaking of not being able to see, by the way, we also know that hell is gonna be pure darkness. It's gonna be pure darkness as Jesus is again speaking about what hell is gonna look like. Matthew 25, 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There we see that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But right here, focus. Jesus says hell is gonna be outer darkness. It's gonna be pitch black dark. Now, here's a question that I, I didn't understand this for a while. How can hell be pure darkness when there's a flame? I don't know if you know this, but fire produces light. This is Science 101 with Pastor Sawyer. You're welcome. Fire produces light. How can there be a fire in hell and also there be pure darkness? God has the power to withhold light whenever he pleases. We saw him do it in Genesis 1, actually. We've also seen him create the entire universe with just his words. We've seen him bring people back from the dead. We've seen him walk on water. We've seen him be the savior of the universe. I believe, and the Bible says, that he can produce a fire that burns stronger and more violently and hotter than any flame we've ever experienced on this earth while withholding the light that it produces. So not only will you have to experience the heat and the smoke of the flame, you won't get to enjoy the light that it produces. There's no hope, there's no silver lining. It's awful. And here's the worst part, worse than the fire, worse than the heat, worse than the smoke, worse than the weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's permanent separation from God. Recently, uh, a new season of Stranger Things came out. I don't know if you watched it, but Stranger Things is a show on Netflix, and, and every year there's, there's this underworld, or what's it called, the Upside Down? And it's, it's evil, and it's dark, and it's red, and there's monsters, and it's clearly, it's, it's bad, and it's clearly symbolic of hell. One thing, though, first of all, it, real hell is gonna be a billion times worse than what we see in, in Stranger Things. But not only that, something that Stranger Things doesn't get right is that in Stranger Things, there's usually hope for salvation or escape. Like in the new season, they find themselves in this underneath or uh, upside down, and there's a monster, and it's awful, and it's claustrophobic, but all they have to do is put their favorite song over the ears, and they get a chance to escape. Oh, sorry. Spoiler. <laughs> sorry. I didn't even think about the fact that people hadn't watched it yet. Sorry. 
my bad. <laughs> In other seasons, it's like, oh, maybe, you know, the hero's gonna come and save us, or maybe we get a chance to avoid, the, I don't know what it is, but there's always a chance to either escape or be saved. In hell, there is no salvation. There is no hope. There is no way of escape. You're done. Once you're there, you are done. Look at 2 Thessalonians right here. 1, 8 through 9, in the flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Hell is not just a bad place with fire and smoke. It is that, but it's even worse. You're away from God. In hell, those people are going to weep and cry out, forgive me, save me, and it's gonna be too late. Our chance for salvation comes on this earth. And a lot of people are gonna miss out on that and they're gonna go to this place and there's gonna be no escape. By the way, um, that's why it's so important that we share the gospel. That's why it's so important that we tell people about Jesus. I'm 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 gonna get a little upset for a second and I'm not sorry about it. I see too many Christians saying, you know, it's just a little too awkward to talk about Jesus around my coworkers. I, do want, I want to tell my family about God. It's just really uncomfortable. You want to know what's uncomfortable is burning in hell for all of eternity with no escape. It bugs me. I've got friends. I've got family who, as of right now, they are destined for hell. And you know what? I, I, ultimately, it's on them to say yes to Jesus. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to sit idly by and hope it happens. I'm going to do everything I can to talk about Jesus, what he's doing in my life, what's available to them. How can I pray for you? You wanna come to church? Because I don't care if it's awkward or uncomfortable for me, I want them to be in heaven. By the way, so does God. If you don't know this, God wants everyone to go to heaven. You can actually skip this verse to 2 Peter, if I can find it, yeah, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. I don't know if you're in here and you think that God's mad at you, he loves you and wants you to go to heaven. God wants you to be in heaven. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants your family and your friends to go to heaven. He wants your in-laws to go to heaven, believe it or not. He wants everyone to go to heaven. (laughs) Unfortunately, I know a lot of people are gonna deny that and they're gonna choose to go to hell. Now, here's a question that I know is very common. If God really loves us, why would he create such a bad place for us? Right, the Bible says that God loves us, that he loves us so much that he died on the cross for us, that he loves us so much that he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Then why would he create it? Why would he design a place that's so bad for us to go to? Why couldn't he have created something that's like bad but not that bad? Like, oh dang, I gotta sit here and watch the new Jurassic World movie on, on, on repeat. Like, why, why, life's bad, but it's like not, why, why does it have to be this bad if he really loves us? Why did God create this for us if he really loves us? Here's the truth, he didn't. I don't know if you know this or not, he didn't create hell for us. We were never designed to go to hell. It wasn't for us. Look at again, Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking on hell. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. A couple things really interesting about this verse. First of all, those on his left depart from me. That means all of us that are Democrats are going to hell. No, no. it's not political. It's not political, I promise you, I promise you. We're gonna see Republicans and Democrats in heaven. I'm I'm praying for it. A couple couple verses earlier, Jesus separated. He separated the believers on his right and the non-believers on his left. And he said, the non-believers, you're gonna have to go to this place. But but here's the most important part. It wasn't prepared for them. Jesus is gonna be like, hey, you who didn't receive me, you're gonna have to go to this place. It wasn't meant for you, though. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, his demons, God didn't create this place for us. He doesn't want us to experience this pain and this turmoil. He created this as an eternal punishment for Satan. Unfortunately, people are gonna say no to God. They're gonna reject him and more people will go and and have to endure this place for all of eternity, this place that was not meant for them, all because they didn't receive Jesus. Now, here's the good news. I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. God created a place for us. He didn't create hell for us. He created a place for us. And as awful as hell is, this place that God has for us is infinitely better. It's infinitely better. It's better than anything you can imagine. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no heart of man has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I love this verse. I love this verse. It's so cool. 
I like this because it says that heaven's gonna be better than anything we can imagine. It's not just the better option. I, I know a lot of people might say like, I, yeah, I'm, I wanna go to heaven because I've heard about how bad hell is and like, sign me up. He- heaven's gotta be better than that. But if you, like, if you give me a choice between a rock and an In-N-Out cheeseburger, I'm gonna choose a double-double chopped chilies, whole grilled onions every single time because it's the better option than a rock. Jesus is not talking about a double cheeseburger. He's not talking about a better option. He's talking about something that is so incredibly magnificent that not only do we not understand, we could never imagine in a million years, no heart of man has ever imagined what God has prepared for us. It will not only meet your expectations, it will exceed your expectations. In a second, I'm gonna show you a couple things that we know to be true about what heaven looks like and what it's like, but it's just a glimpse. It's just a taste because we can't even fathom how amazing this place is gonna be. It's better than anything you could ever imagine, anything you could ever dream of. Of course, this place I'm talking about, it's heaven, and it's for us. So what is heaven? What is heaven? Is heaven a planet? Is it a realm? Is it, what is it? Here's what heaven is according to the Bible. Heaven is the inhabitants of God the Father. It's the dwelling place of God the Father. Wherever God the Father is, that is heaven. That is heaven. Look at what Deuteronomy 26, 15 says. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people, Israel. It's his holy habitation. Heaven is wherever God is. By the way, right here we see look down from heaven. Just like hell is is beneath, it's hidden, it's covered, it's the underworld, it's below the earth spiritually, heaven is spiritually above the earth. It's elevated, it's holier. But the main emphasis right here is that it is the holy habitation of God. Look at 1 Kings 8, 39. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Then in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know. It's his dwelling place. It's wherever God the Father is dwelling. If if God the Father were on Saturn, Saturn would be heaven. So it's not as much heaven as like a precise location It's the dwelling place of God the Father. And right now, God the Father is dwelling in the current heaven, and we are currently dwelling on earth, and one day, guess what? They're gonna meet. They're gonna become conjoined, and we'll get to experience heaven here on this earth with God. Look at Revelation 21, one through three. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So here we see that heaven comes to earth. So is heaven a location? Is it a building? Is it a place? No, it is the dwelling place of God the Father. And one day God the Father will come to this earth and dwell here permanently. That means that this is permanently heaven. Now, in the Bible, we see a bunch of things about heaven and about hell, and in Revelation 21, in this chapter, we see uh, probably the most about heaven. It's the biggest chapter as far as heaven goes. It's packed with stuff. It's packed with stuff. I don't have time to break it all down tonight, but a couple things that I think is really cool, even that we just see in these first three verses. First of all, we see that it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You can go back to the verse one of this, Revelation 21.1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That phrase right there, passed away. What I think is really cool that I never learned before is that this doesn't mean that this earth is gonna be destroyed and that this heaven is gonna be destroyed, but rather that it's gonna be this actual earth. But passed away right there is a Greek word, parakomai, which means literally to pass from one condition to another. So when that verse actually says that that the first heaven and the first earth passed away, it doesn't actually mean that it was destroyed, it was demolished, it means that it passed from one condition to another. So actually, believe it or not, when we're on heaven, we're actually gonna be on this current earth. And the current heaven will pass from one condition to another, and the current earth will pass from one condition to another, and they will meet, and the new heaven and new earth will be here. But this earth will pass from its current condition to a fully restored and fully healed and fully perfect version of earth. Fully perfect version of earth. We see this word, parakomai, 75 times in the Bible. And every single time that it's used, all 75 times in the Bible, it's referring to something that passes from one condition to another, never to something that was demolished. 
For instance, a time. Whenever we see in the Bible that time passed, it uses this word, parakomai. It passed from one condition to another. Time passes from the future to the present to the past. Time isn't demolished. It's not abol- it passes from something that will happen to something that is happening to something that did happen. In the same way, this new heaven, this new earth, it's the current earth that passes from its current falling apart evil state to a state of perfection and holiness. So, so heaven and hell, that's just a cool fact. Heaven, I mean, heaven is actually gonna be on this earth. It's gonna be the new earth. And how is God gonna take this earth and restore it? According to 2 Peter, it says that he's going to use fire to purify it. Look at this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, means no one's gonna know when, in, uh, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And then it goes on to say, but we wait for the new heaven and the new earth. But key right there is to say, first of all, it says that the, the heaven and the earth passed away. Once again, parakomai, it changed from one state, one condition to another. And God uses fire to cleanse the earth, to purify it, and turn it into this new perfect earth that's not falling apart and it's not sinful. And heaven will then come and join this earth. And this will now be heaven because heaven is the dwelling place of God. And it says that now that city came down on earth and he will dwell with us permanently forever. A couple other things we see just even in these first three verses, real quick. One, it says there's gonna be no ocean, that the ocean was no more. The ocean that currently covers over 70% of our earth is gonna be gone. Instead, it's gonna be land. We're gonna have a ton of land all around us, but there's gonna be rivers and lakes and small seas of all perfect, clear, pure, drinkable water that actually flows from the throne of God. A couple reasons for that, and a couple reasons really cool. One, that's so there's enough room in heaven for everyone. We're not gonna be packed up. We're not gonna be sitting like this, like living in heaven, like this is nice, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's gonna be... We're gonna have land and we're gonna have space and we're gonna be thriving. Another reason is there's gonna be enough drinking water for everyone. There's no more thirst. There's no more drought. We have everything we need. And this is the coolest point to me about this. Anytime we see the ocean in the Bible, it represents chaos. It represents evil. It represents darkness, even especially to the people of God, the Israelites. The ocean was something of darkness and evil and chaos. There's no chaos in heaven. So I actually believe that not only is this, is this God's design literally so that we can have space and have fresh water, but I actually think it's symbolic to say, hey, there's no chaos. There's no fear. There's nothing that I am not in control of in heaven. There's nothing that you will experience that will cause fear and pain to you. There's no chaos in heaven. How cool is that? How cool is that? We also see that there's gonna be a new Jerusalem, a holy city. And I can go into detail about what we see about it. If you read Revelation 21, you'll see all about the new Jerusalem, the measurements, the gates, the height, the width, the materials, and it's really cool. And you can go and read that. We're also actually gonna have a series in August talking about heaven, and Lee Strobel's gonna come and give us some details about heaven. It's gonna be really cool. So we'll hear a little bit more about that in the future. But tonight, I actually real quick wanna focus more, less on what it's gonna look like and more what it's gonna be like. So let me tell you something. It's gonna be beautiful, it's going to be so special, be so powerful. The, the gems and the pearly gates and the golden streets, and it's going to be amazing, but the beauty is not where the value of heaven is. There's something way more special than what it looks like, and it's what it's going to be like and what it is. And let me go ahead and tell you, this is the most special part about it. We're going to be fully in the presence of God permanently. We get to experience the fullness of his presence in a way that we never have. Look at Revelation 22, 3 through 5. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have any need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. A couple things we see just right there. You can go back to that, the first slide. A couple things we see, first of all, the throne of God and of the lamb will be there. So we'll be in the presence of his throne. He will no longer rule from a distant heaven connecting to a spiritually the Holy Spirit. We will physically be there with God. We will see his face. Scripture says that we cannot handle in our current bodies to see the fullness of his face because we wouldn't be able to, we would, our minds would explode. Like we wouldn't, we can't, we can't fathom, but when we're in heaven, we will get to see his full face and experience the full presence of God the Father. And then you can go to the next slide. And it says they will reign forever and ever. It's the same eternity that people in hell are gonna experience, except in hell, it's gonna be awful that it didn't end. In heaven, it's gonna be such a blessing. I don't know, growing up, we'd always go to the swimming pool. Swimming pool over the summer, and it was the best, and it was so much fun, and we loved it. But every hour, they'd have an adult swim. 
which is where the kids have to get out and you just kind of dangle your legs on the side of the pool and you watch the adults swim. None of them even swam. It was really for the lifeguards to go pee. But it was like, it was like a break and it was the worst. You literally had to sit there and be like looking at this water like, when can I get in? When can I get in? When can I get in? And it was awful. And we'd be swimming, we'd be having so much fun throwing football, jumping off the diving boards, playing games, holding our little brothers under the water, you know? But then you look up at the clock. I didn't have a brother, I just saw people do it. You look up at the clock, and there's four minutes until adults swim, and you start panicking, you're like, oh my gosh, we have four minutes, what should we do? I gotta go off the diving board again. Throw me the football, let's swim as fast as we can. I gotta soak all this fun out as I possibly can before it ends, before it ends, I don't want it to end, I don't want it to end. And there's this stress of like, it's so much fun that you don't want it to end. That's what heaven's gonna be like without the stress of it ending. It's gonna be so amazing and so powerful and so incredible and so fulfilling and you get to enjoy it forever and ever and ever and you will never get tired of it. How cool is that? How cool is that? We also see right there that there will no longer be any curse. What is that saying? What is, what is, what is the curse? It's talking about sin. There's no longer any sin. There's no longer any temptation. There's no longer even any desire to sin, by the way. Every day as Christians, we are choosing to have to say no to the desires of our flesh. We won't even have those temptations or those desires. We'd be fully content and fulfilled in what we have. Not only that, it's the curse of sin that's going to be gone. Those deaths that I was talking about earlier, the spiritual death, the physical death, the eternal death, we don't have to worry about those things. That spiritual death was the separation from us and God. Heaven's going to have gates, but the gates are never going to close. Why? Because there's no separation between us and God. We'll never have to worry about our bodies dying and our souls being separated. We won't have to worry about going to hell because there's no sin. There's no punishment or curse for sin. We also know there's going to be no pain or suffering. That, that song we sang earlier is referring to this verse right here in Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. And they neither shall be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. No more pain, no more suffering. This includes anxiety and depression and mental illnesses and gender confusion and addiction and suffering and sickness. None of that is gone. It's gone. We're perfect. We never have to experience any of that pain ever again. No more hunger, no more crime, no more conflict, no more war. Scripture even says we're going to be free from conflict with our own neighbor. Imagine that. None of that is gone. It's gone. I love, I love this part. We're going to know and understand everything. I know I've been talking for a while. I've been saying a lot of y'alls and stuff, but, but we're nearing the end, but this is really cool. Y'all don't, don't tune me out here. I can't wait for this moment. In heaven, it says that we are going to know and understand everything. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Again, face to face, we're going to be experiencing the face of God the Father. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Right now, we only get a glimpse. We only, we only get a peek. We don't understand everything about God. But this verse says one day in heaven we will. Revelation 21.7 says that we will inherit all things. We're gonna understand. We're gonna get the answers to our questions. I can't wait for this. I can't wait to get there and ask God, hey, can, I, can you, can you I, I wanna understand the concept of eternity. God, everything in my mind has a beginning and has an end, and yet your word says that you have no beginning and no end. You are the alpha and the omega. No one created you. I can't fathom that, but one day we're gonna get to heaven, and I'm gonna get to ask God, and he's gonna explain it to me, and I'll get to understand it. It's gonna be so powerful. I wanna know, I'm gonna ask Jesus, what were you writing in the dirt in John chapter eight? I don't know if you, you read John chapter 8. There's a moment where this, this woman is about to be stoned to death for her sexual sins, and she's about to be stoned to death, and Jesus stops him and basically tells all these men, he says, you who have never sinned, you throw the first stone, and they've all sinned. And then it says that he starts to write something in the dirt. It doesn't specify what it is, but it says he writes something in the dirt, and one by one they drop their stone and walk away. I want to ask what that is. It might be underwhelming. It might just be like, you know, a cool phrase, but I think, I think it's going to be the name of all their mistresses. I think it's going to be like, Samantha, you know? <laughs> Tammy, you know, right there, John, and you're like, yeah, see you right there, right? You're gonna be like, you know, I wanna know, and I'm gonna get to know. I can't wait for that. How cool is that gonna be? Another thing that we're gonna get that's really cool, we're actually gonna have a job in heaven, but we're gonna love it, and we'll never get tired of it. Now, it might not sound super cool to me, to you, but let me, let me explain. Let me explain. Revelation 22, 3. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So right there it says that we will serve God, we'll work for God. But in Revelation 14, it says that we will have permanent rest from our labor. How can both be true? How can we have permanent rest from our labor, and yet we will be working and serving God? I think people forget this. 
The curse of sin did not involve work. In, in Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned. And part of the curse was that God said, Adam, you will work the ground by the sweat of your brow. But here's the thing, the curse wasn't work, the curse was the pain and the agony that the work brought. Before Adam and he ever sinned, Adam actually already had a job. He had a job to name the animals, to have dominion over the animals, to work the ground. He and Eve had a job to be fruitful and multiply, praise God, right? And he had, they had a job before they ever sinned. And the curse of that sin was not the work, it was the pain and the agony that the work brought. And this says that we're gonna serve God, but we're gonna have rest from the laborsome part of it, that we're gonna have rest from the agony and the pain. I love my job. I love it. But man, there are days that I get discouraged. There are days that I get burnt out. I get worn out. There are days that I start comparing myself to another pastor. And I'm like, why? Maybe I'm in the wrong job. I start doubting who I am. There are days I love being there for people. Man, sometimes it's hard to look at this 15-year-old girl and say, I'm sorry that your parents are dead. It's hard to sit next to this sophomore guy and say, I'm sorry that you were molested at the age of five and the only way you know to cope with it is the addiction to pornography that you've been having for your entire life. Sometimes it's hard to handle the parts of the job, even a job that you love. That's gonna be gone in heaven. We're gonna have a job and we're gonna love it and it's gonna be for the king. It's not gonna be for myself, it's not gonna be for my fame, it's not gonna be for my money, it's gonna be for him. With that, we're gonna have a new body. Believe it or not, well actually, this body, but in a new state. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. Some of us need to stop living for the world because we are citizens of heaven. And from it, we await the Savior, a Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we're gonna get a new body. I personally believe that's kind of similar to the, to the earth, that it's the same earth, but it's transformed into a new state. I think it's actually gonna be the same body, but in a new state, pure and holy and healthy. No more cancer, no more leukemia. No more Alzheimer's, no more mental illnesses, no more addiction. With that, and this, I'm gonna close out soon, I promise. I love this one. With the new body and the new job and the new place that we're living in, the new heaven and the new earth, we're gonna get a new name and identity that's unique to us. There's not gonna be a billion Sawyers running around or Samanthas or whatever it is. I'm gonna get a name that's straight from God, that's unique to me. Look at this verse right here in Revelation 21.7, or 2.17, I'm sorry. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. He's gonna give me a new name and a new identity. I think this is gonna be such a special moment. I think this is gonna be a moment where Jesus is acknowledging the reputation that we carried out for him on earth. I think this is gonna be a moment where God rewards us and recognizes what we did for him and what, who we are on earth. I think this is gonna be a, a, just a peek into how he sees us and the value that he has for us. Some of you need to hear this tonight. You are valued and loved by God so much so that he has a name and identity prepared for you that's unique to you. I think this is gonna be really cool. I, I wanna receive it. I wanna I want go before God. I get emotional thinking about it. I wanna hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's a name. Sorry, you did... You, Here's a name that represents the selflessness that you lived your life with. You always found a way to put others first. You always found a way to put God first, others second, and saw your way down here. You always found a way to serve others. That's what I want. I fall short of that sometimes. But that's what I want. I want a name that represents the joy that I had. Sawyer, you had ups and downs. You had wins and losses. You, you had good days, bad days, but no matter what you were going through, you found a way to be unconditionally joyful in God in me. You found a way, even in your wins, your best days, you said, I'm not joyful because of my happiness. I'm joyful because my God is a good God. Even in your bad days, you found a way to be joyful in the fact that my God will never fail me. And this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad. And I want that. I want a name that talks about my faithfulness. You've been faithful. So you're in a world that doubt, doubted me and cursed me and hated me and blamed me. You were faithful. You didn't always have the answers. You were sometimes confused and sometimes discouraged, but you always found a way to have faith in me. I want that. But you know what? Even if I don't get those, I'm gonna take whatever he gives me because it's gonna be unique to me and it's gonna be from God. I'm gonna have a new name, an identity that has nothing to do with my past, nothing to do with my failures, nothing to do with my sins, nothing to do with anything except for the fact that I am founded and loved and saved and eternally fulfilled in the presence of God. That's what we get to look forward to in heaven. 
Now, there's a lot more that I could go on and on about heaven, but I hope you get a preview into just how special this place is gonna be. And here's what I want you to hear tonight. This is your inheritance. This is yours if you want it. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 25. The king will say to those on his right, those who believed in me, come, you are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus knows our sins. Even Paul, he was saying, I don't know now, but one day I'll fully know because I've been fully known. God knows your heart, your mind. He knows everything about you, even the, the deepest, darkest secrets and the sins. And you know what? He loves you so much that he was willing to die for you anyway and say, I've got something for you. It's an inheritance. Just like if a loved one were to pass away on this earth and leave an inheritance, a gift for us, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, went to heaven and said, here's an inheritance for you. It's yours if you want it. I want you to have this. I want you to experience this. I don't want you to have to go to hell. I want you to come to heaven and be fulfilled and be at peace and live in my presence and have a new name, have a new identity, be free of sin and pain and hurt. And it's available to you. I know that it's Wednesday night and a lot of people in here are already believers. Praise God. But even if there's one person in here tonight who's not, I want you to hear me. It's your inheritance. It's yours if you want it. God loves you and he values you so much that he, this didn't just happen. He prepared it for you. He prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Before this world was ever created, before you ever lived, before you ever sinned, before you ever stumbled, before you ever made a mistake, before you were ever molested, before you were ever hurt, God said, I know that Sawyer McKenzie is gonna walk this earth and I want him to be with me in heaven. I don't know what you've gone through, but God's got something better for you and it's yours if you want it. I know so many people might hesitate. They're like, I'm not sure, I still have questions. I do too, we're gonna get the answers in heaven. Uh, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm willing to really give up my drinking yet. Are you willing to hold on to your drinking and deny God so that you can go and experience hell for all of eternity? Or would you rather endure the pain for the next few years of your life and say yes to God and obey him so that you can go to heaven and, and, and receive your inheritance? Oh, what about my pride? I've always been making fun of this Christianity thing and if I say yes now, I'm gonna get so much crap at work. I'd rather get made fun of every single day, all day, every day, and then get to go experience heaven than to live with my pride and go and experience hell. And it's yours. It's your inheritance. And in a second, I'm gonna give you a chance to say yes. God doesn't require us to get our life figured out for us to earn heaven. He says, hey, come as you are in your sin and in your brokenness and in your hurt and in your flaws and just receive me. Say yes. And that's what's available to you tonight. And so in a second, I'm gonna say a prayer, but it's not my prayer to say, I've already received it. I've already said yes to my inheritance. I know where I'm going. Where are you going? Your journey is gonna come to an end and there's a destination whether you plan for it or not. And it's either this one or it's hell. Where are you going? Tonight you can decide. Tonight you can say, I, I'm for heaven. I'm gonna give you that opportunity. I'm actually gonna go ahead and ask every single person to bow their heads and close their eyes and we're gonna go into this attitude of prayer right now. I don't invite you, if you're that one person, I know there's someone in here who needs to just say yes. You might have doubts, you might have fears, you might have hesitations, but you just gotta say yes to it. And right now I'm gonna say this prayer. And if you're ready to say this prayer, if you're ready to say yes to God, if you're ready to receive this inheritance, I want you to repeat it after me. I want you to say it to God. Jesus says that he who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth will be saved. Tonight, you're gonna confess. You're gonna say, God, I say yes to you. So right now, if you're ready to say that prayer, if you're ready to receive your inheritance, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, God, I need you. I say yes to you. Forgive me for my sins. Heal me from my hurt. Give me a new life. Help me to follow you. 
Help me to realign my journey heading towards the destination that you prepared for me. I say yes to my inheritance. I ask that you come into my life and that you be my God. I believe in you. I give you my all. And I love you. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen and amen. Can we give it up for anyone in this place who said that prayer tonight? Let me tell you something. You said that prayer. Your name is written in the book of life. That verse that Jesus said, he said, all of those who, whose names were not written in the book of life would have to go to hell. Your name is written in the book of life. You're going to heaven. Welcome to the family. But here's the thing. It doesn't end there. I, I said it real quick, but we are citizens of heaven. And when you said yes to God, you became not a citizen of this earth, but a citizen of heaven. Your identity is now founded in God. And in that, we are called to walk in the new life that we've received. You've been raised to walk in the newness of life. And we're called to walk in it and pursue him and love him. And so in a second, I'm gonna ask everyone who said that prayer to do something powerful. First of all, if you're watching online, it's to text amen to 77247 to say, hey, I said that prayer and I need help pursuing him and I wanna walk alongside of him and live in this new identity. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.